Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in It's a Business Minneapolis This is Nice Games Club The show where nice game devs talk gaming and game develop I'm Martha McGarry and I make nice games I'm Stephen McGregor and I make nice games And I'm Martha Croy I too make nice games In this episode we talk with Matt Gravel Owner of independent game development studio Gravit To talk about the ups and downs of running a business in the games industry And so, if everyone is ready Let's start Hello <laughs> Thanks for coming all the way from your desk across the room into the clubhouse. It was a rough trip, but I made it. <laughs> so, as uh, Stephen said in the intro, you are the owner of Gravic. You've been making games for a long, long time, and uh, most recently here at Glitch. Um, and you're here to tell us really about how that happened, <laughs> right? Yeah, I figure um, it might be interesting for people to hear, just kind of starting at the beginning, kind of a brief rundown of what it's been like running a studio and there's been lots of ups and probably more downs and <laughs> maybe I can deliver some of my experience to help other people not make the same mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And we've done a lot of topics on the show about starting a business, what it takes, the little the little pieces of it. Um, but you have a lot of experience that that is, speaks better to our uh, to it than say our research does. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, the first thing is uh, how did the, how did you get started? Uh, well, it started as a hobby. I mean, if we really want to dig back back in grade school, oh, we do. Ooh, wow. <laughs> um, if anybody's familiar with HyperCard, that was kind of my start point. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think I had ambitions to make a mist like clone uh, with a couple of friends that. Never even got anywhere, like maybe a sketch. <laughs> That's about it. Um, but then in middle school, um, a good friend and I, who we eventually formed Gravec, but we uh, we were just doing it as a hobby, and we started making um, a game called Overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. It was overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why we uh, reached that name, but it was a space shooter, like an arcade shoot 'em up And um, it was a very ambitious and... Uh, it was a project that I'm quite proud of. It never saw the light of day as an officially released game, mm-hmm. okay. but it was pretty damn awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody has that like first big idea that they put, you know, that's more greater scope than they really should have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's like, it's a rite of passage, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's that piece of advice you always hear, but you never really absorb it until you do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. How, how long was that game in development for? Um, well, well, <laughs> like six years. Ah, well, okay, we're we're catching starting up in to middle you. school. We're, oh, mm-hmm. we're catching up to you, vengeance through high school. <laughs> okay, um, and then in college we had great intentions, and then it was built for Mac OS nine. Ah. And if you're familiar, it was a large transition from OS nine to OS ten, and basically our entire code base had to be rewritten oh, no. to be compatible with OS ten, and so that was that was just a really fast way to put it in the graveyard yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was okay I'll, I'll give you a little more of the scope because it was quite <laughs> ambitious um, <laughs> the the division so i started as an artist and um i'm air quoting here um, <laughs> you can't see it obviously i was able to build like mechanical um like 3d art like human made things i'm okay at modeling and i'm good with like graphic design and and um kind of layout and stuff like that but uh i've always had trouble with like a lot of art beyond that. Okay. So this game worked really well for me because I was able to model um, some like cool ships and stuff in space that I I'm still proud of using uh, Raydream Studio um, and Strata 3D, which are two really old programs that 
I'm guessing not many people know, but they were um, they were really really rough to work with. They're like super buggy. Oh, um, it was a nightmare. <laughs> but I was able to to do pre rendered ships that rotated at kind of like a three quarter view. My my partner uh, was was actually writing like a scripting engine, so you could make like missions. No. And it was just like that's this, so this, cool. You know, you're supposed to like start as like a baseline ship and then work your way up and modify your ship. And we had really cool things like drone technology before drones were the, were the thing that everybody's talking about. It's like, um, like drone weapons that like swarmed other ships. And it's just, just a ton of, ton of feature creep and no real, like strong direction of how we were going to end this development. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you, so, were, you were in middle school. So <laughs> and high school and college. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> at, at some point, I mean, it's dragging on forever. Mm-hmm. At what point do you decide like, hey, we should make a business out of this? <laughs> uh, well, that was kind of a, a, a slow burn. Um, at the time, uh, there was this group online called UDev Games. And mm-hmm. at the time, like there really wasn't a huge community making games out there. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a lot more difficult. And it this was, was like, what, 2001? Um, this was, yeah, like between 2001 and like 2005. I okay. Think. So my business partner, he entered a competition with a game called Bug Thug. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly him. I had very little to do with it. I kind of helped polish it up a little bit. But um, it was just a really simple uh, clicking game, just like how fast can you click the mouse, essentially. Okay. Um, but I it was really nice name. and polished. And he ended up winning some awards with it. Mm-hmm. The prize that he ended up winning was a copy of Unity. Okay. Oh. And this was this was Unity before it was officially released to the public. Like this is a beta, closed beta. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and so cool. It was actually the first place prize, but the first place person decided, nah, I'm not gonna screw around with an engine. That's that's <laughs> dumb sounding. So <laughs> passed it off to us, or I should say him uh who was second place. And then I remember having this discussion in the porch of my college house. Uh, I was on the phone with him. And we're like, you know, w- we could try out this engine, this Unity thing. And, you know, if it fails, you know, whatever, no big deal. <laughs> but I don't know. We just had to, we just lost a game because OS ten doesn't support it. So this might just make a lot of things easier. Right, right. Um, so we decided to go with it. So that was like our first step towards doing it professionally. Okay. Still a ways off. Yeah. Um, and then the next step was Unity was putting on a competition. I mean, they do one every year now. This was like the first iteration of that. Okay. And uh, we ended up resurrecting Overwhelmed. And I learned Blender and I remodeled the ships to work in real time. He learned the code, uh, how to code in Unity. And we ended up just making a more, learning from our mistakes and making a very concise version of Overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Ah. And it actually worked. We actually released something. (laughs) It had like some goals in the game. And um and it looked pretty good just for like learning Unity and learning Blender and all that stuff. So I'm pretty ha- pretty proud of that one. Mm-hmm. And we ended up winning some awards. I forget. I think it might have been uh, technical. It doesn't matter. We won some awards. Um, it wasn't like the top winner, but um, we got some recognition with that. Mm-hmm. And that helped get our foot in the door. Okay. So now to answer your question directly, the first game that we did professionally was a title called Big Bang Brain Games. And a publisher named Freeverse approached us to make it. And they knew of us through Unity because they were like, hey, look at these guys. They made 
overwhelmed, you should talk to them. So that was kind of our foot in the door. And this was near the end of college. So 2005-ish, I think, is when, when that happened. And it was a pretty easy decision to make. It's like, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and in hindsight, the pay that they offered us to develop this for was like total chump change. It was like, <laughs> if we were to gather our hours and, and like work it out hourly, we were totally working under minimum wage. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. But it was a foot in the door. Sure, and yeah. it was quite exciting. And, you know, we kind of had like little side gigs in college. And so it, it worked. It, it wasn't, yeah. I didn't feel like we were taken advantage of, even though we may have been, um, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We actually developed and still have a good relationship with the the people that we worked with, with Freeverse on that. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds like even if you didn't get paid a lot, there was a lot of, there was a lot of experience and a a relationship uh, was built from that. So that's good. And uh, some of our biggest successes involved Freeverse. So, okay. um, it, It was a good start point. Yeah, that's great. Um, and it was really exciting. Oh, ooh, I gotta, I gotta break a little <laughs> bit. Um, we were the first retail box product made with Unity, and it was on the shelves of some select Apple stores, although I never saw it. <laughs> it was in micro centers, and I'm sure it ended up in some bargain bins and Fry's Electronics. Right. That's so awesome. That's really interesting because, like, that is also the period of time right before boxed software was going to go away. Yep. <laughs> it's when it was something to be really excited about. It might also, it might also be one of the last uh, box products made with Unity, right? Oh, uh, yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. A little piece of history. Mm-hmm. Do um, you still have any of the box copies? Yes. That's They're awesome. Collecting dust somewhere in the bottom of a drawer. <laughs> but I take them out and and I look at the foil shiny cover and I'm like, ah. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. So at this point, you have you now have uh you know you have a, a title that got you on the map. You've got a commercial product. You've got a relationship with a publisher. Um, you know what? How do you sustain a business once you sort of are in it? Once you've got something on you know behind you now? Yeah, that's um that's a trick, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so I mean this this game didn't really provide enough revenue to like live off of yeah. in any sort of meaningful way. Um, we were still kind of in this blurry area where I was finishing up college. I actually did a stint in, of student teaching in New Zealand because I, I went to school for math and physics education. I I knew that game development was a possibility, but I never, I don't know, I never really took it too seriously as yeah. an option. Yeah. But when that was done, we kind of had a discussion like, well, all right, we have this foot in the door. It would be kind of a shame to waste it. And um, so we just decided, well, let's give it a go. He had a spare bedroom that we set up our office in. Um, and I don't remember the exact timeline, but we got a couple gigs here and there just to kind of keep the lights on. I think I did some art for uh, Hoyle 2007 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was just like me reskinning some card games. Yeah. And I learned a lot about poker and actually <laughs> found it interesting to watch competitive poker on TV. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, total sidetrack. Sorry. No, that is it's really cool because they have like the camera underneath the table, so you can see like what they're. Is that what you're talking yep, about? Yep. Ah, like, yeah, I watch, watch that too. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> players have different personalities and sunglasses mm-hmm. and <laughs> stuff. Take it very seriously. Yes. <laughs> Almost comically, so mm-hmm. it um, is always these little side things that you, go along in your career that you kind of remember. Like you know, like if you took that little puzzle out. You know, it would be things would really be different, yeah. even though it feels like an aside, right? Yeah, that's a good point because I mean this this little gig that I was doing for Hoyle, I, it was actually through Freeverse. 
really paid the bills for like a good few months. So mm-hmm. that, and that gave us the opportunity to then work on our next project, which was uh, RC Laser Warrior. Ooh. And this is one of my favorite games that I've made. Um, it is a RC racing game set in the future, maybe a dystopian future. And you're, <laughs> you're racing RC cars in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And this was also tied to a competition that Unity put on. It's okay. called the Unity Top Dog Competition. I think this was the next iteration of Unity competitions before, before they started the one that you see nowadays, which is like the Unity Awards, whatever. Mm-hmm. We ended up winning a few awards for this too. I don't remember the specific which ones. Uh, gained us a little more recognition, and we got noticed um, by a publisher called Shockwave. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, an, an online portal um that did web games yeah and so this is the period of time this is 2007 2008 where web games were more of a thing this is really before mobile made any sort of visible Mm -hmm. presence and um this was also the time when unity had their web player which was actually a a pretty big thing at the time um it was kind of competing with flash in, in a lot of ways but allowed you to do like 3d in ways that Flash wasn't able to, or a lot of people didn't use Flash for, at least. Mm-hmm. And so, doing RC Laser Warrior as a web game through Shockwave, not only was it a nice stream of revenue, um, just ad-based revenue, but uh, it also gave us some street cred. So then we got approached by Disney and Warner Brothers within the next year or so to work on web games mm-hmm. for them. Oh, yeah. That's um, so cool. And so we can also claim that we've released some of the first um, big name titles. Well, I guess big name for a web game titles uh, for the Unity web player Mm -hmm. and and played at least a small part in popularizing the web player, which helped popularize Unity. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's not not a part of Unity history. I think people are really aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're, you're making web games. And is that what you sort of thought you would be doing? Like, is, is that you're like, okay, now we've got a business. Now we, we got a, you know, regular uh, commissions, regular uh, income. Is that, that was, you know, the start of that for you guys? Yeah. So I think um, the mixture of success with RC Laser Warrior mm-hmm. combined with paychecks coming in from the bigger studios, uh, that kind of established our, our model of trying to do about 50 50 independent game versus and uh, work for hire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you make that decision of like, uh, what, are we, what are we working on today? Yeah, okay. So I think, I think in our minds, <laughs> we really wanted to do the 50-50 thing. Yeah, sure. And I think that's what we said and was we told goal, ourselves. Yeah. And we thought we were doing it. But it's really hard to do that with work for higher stuff because that just tends to take precedence. Right, yeah. right. Um, there's, there's deadlines attached to that. Although I would like to think we were 50-50, it was really more work for higher stuff. Yeah. Um, which worked out at the time. It was mm-hmm. fine. Uh, we did some really cool things. Some of the games that I'm most proud of uh, were from that time of web games. Um, we did one for Warner Brothers with Daffy Duck and Marvin the Martian called Robot Rampage. Oh, that's so cool. And it was basically just a, a small arena and you have a bunch of robots surrounding you and trying to get you and you just got to shoot them and kill them all dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you have like interesting, goofy, like Looney Tunes style weapons that you could employ or... Uh, mm-hmm get power-ups and then they liked that enough where they wanted to do a sequel um and that turned into probably my favorite game that i've had a hand in developing and it was robot rampage 2 um 
it was the same thing except the arenas were bigger there were multiple worlds and it was a little bit more like a it's kind of like a diablo light with with looney tunes marvin the martian and daffy duck as the the characters right right um and we had like a vending machine that you could go to to upgrade your weapons and you had like a the special ability belt and um you know i think it was at the stage where um we had enough revenue coming in where we probably overdeveloped that thing mm-hmm. oh. and and warner brothers got way more than they paid for <laughs> <laughs> um so that was kind of a mistake. Yeah. But I also am very proud of that game. The unfortunate thing about web games is they don't have a super long lifespan. Yeah. And so it kind of died after a couple of years. Um, and annoyingly, um, I guess this is kind of a side note, but the, the big studios in Hollywood, they have like, they're like a revolving door mm-hmm. uh, with their personnel. Yeah. It's like somebody enters a position there a year or two later, they're off at another studio. And it just seems to be how it works. They're constantly restructuring. And so our relationship with Warner Brothers was damaged by that because all of the people that I had a relationship with there ended up like just scattering off other places yeah. or like getting laid off or, you know, yeah. whatever the case. And, and uh, Robot Rampage 2 kind of suffered a similar fate in that sure. they didn't really push it as much as they originally intended to. Mm-hmm. So it, it never, it was just kind of like this little hidden gem that, some people really loved, but not a lot of people found. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So when you're making these licensed games, do they come to you with a design document? Do they just come with you with the concept? Or do they say, hey, here's our IP. What do you want to do with it? Like, what's the level of involvement they have in the design process? Um, they usually come with the seed of an idea, and then we can run with it. Mm-hmm. And it was really nice. I think we, we established trust with the Warner Brothers and Disney clients pretty early on and so it was really nice that they felt comfortable with giving us kind of a core idea and then we could run with it and they trusted us with that mm-hmm. i think that's that's kind of rare at, at least given recent um proposals and requests for proposals that i've received yeah so that's kind of like in my mind these years were the highlight of working with the big studios mm-hmm. um, and part of it was because this unity plugin was kind of experimental and so these these producers that we were working with were kind of given license to I don't know, played a little loose with the rules. Yeah, um, yeah. And so we had a lot of freedom and uh, that was really nice. So I think um, this resulted in some of our stronger games just because we were able to really make the game we wanted to make. Right. Um, it is really interesting working with clients because they obviously have like character specs and whatnot. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to, we have to model like Marvin the Martian and then send it off for approval. And that was actually surprisingly... I don't want to say easy, but there weren't as many, like they weren't as nitpicky as I expected. Mm-hmm. I think some of the weird things working with clients is they have very arbitrary rules <laughs> when dealing with children playing mm-hmm. games because oh. you know, the, the audience is children. Yeah. So we want to re- be respectful and obviously not like fill young minds with stupid ideas. Like for example, uh, explosions are okay, but for some reason, fire like setting characters on fire versus exploding them mm-hmm. that's that's huh. okay but just huh. no fire huh. <laughs> right because kids have access to matches but not dynamite <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess i don't know <laughs> um uh one of the the first disney games we did is called uh, suga mountain super race it was a downhill racer you're in you're in like this little tricycle luge thing mm-hmm. And you're going down the road at insane speeds, like 
unsafe by any measure. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. But I don't like the fireball. You need to change that. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. So we got rid of the fireball. Yeah. And then at the very end of that development cycle, they're like, oh, you know, these insane speeds are cool. You know, you're going off jumps. That's cool. But we need seatbelts. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but you're looking at the backside of the character as you're going down the hill. <laughs> they're like, I don't know. You still need seatbelts. <laughs> oh, and you need a helmet. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, wait a minute. These characters are defined by their hairstyles. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were able to fight the helmet thing, but I guess we, we pasted on seatbelts and yeah. nobody ever saw them, <laughs> but they're there. Yeah. So at this point, is it still the two of you? We ended up contracting some folks um, and they helped us with uh, Robot Rampage and um, the Disney games. So we had about four people making these games with Disney and whatnot. And then we had the desire to grow. And at the same time, we released, uh, at about this time period, we released a game called Ten Balls, Seven Cups. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this was our <laughs> ski ball club. <laughs> Martha, stop giggling. <laughs> This is also I about just remember the story, so it's very funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is also about the same time as that unfortunate meme involving <laughs> two girls and one cup. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't a reference to that. <laughs> the official officially no. <laughs> of course not. Don't don't Google that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so the brief story here is like, okay, we want to make a little independent game. Sure. Great. Let's do something concise, small. Um, the iPhone just got released like a year ago. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is picking up steam. We're like, let's do something for the iPhone. And so looking around, looking around, and the ski ball was a great opportunity. You know, you could swipe your finger. Uh, it worked well for a touch screen. Threw a ball. Goes in the ski ball machine. Easy, easy to make. Yeah. So we did it. But by the time we ended, it was like three or four months. Um, there was already like four ski ball clones out there ah. <laughs> and all of the obvious names are taken. Like, uh, I forget the obvious names, but there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we learned a lot about trademark law because we can't use ski ball yeah. and we can't do anything phonetically similar or confusingly similar. So even like SKI ball is not a thing you can do. Uh, right. So it's like, crap. Well, now what do we do? Like all the obvious names have taken, we can't do this license name. So obviously 10 balls, seven cups. <laughs> <laughs> It just, you had no choice. You had no choice. <laughs> yeah. You're only it just it. happened to coincide with this unfortunate meme that's uh -huh. going around at the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so where I'm going with this yeah. is Freeverse saw 10 balls, 7 cups, and they're like, hey, we've been talking about to the ski ball guys, the license holder, oh. and we want to license 10 balls, 7 cups and make it officially branded ski ball. And we're like, well, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you don't have to use that name anymore. Right. <laughs> Um, and so this resulted in probably the biggest success of my career mm -hmm. and really by any measure, a lot of money for a small studio, um, because it hit the number one top selling chart for like, it was like five consecutive months. Wow. wow. It was That's a lot. It was maybe one of the longest, um, periods of time of game has been up in the top paid charts, especially yeah. nowadays when it's like, you get two days you're like the luckiest person in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, now, keep in mind, it was the early days of the uh, App Store. So mm -hmm. if it was nowadays uh, and we were in the top charts for that long, like 
we'd be doing this interview in Bora Bora. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it was still a significant amount of revenue, and so now we have money coming in daily, combined with the work for hire stuff, mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, let's let's get bigger. Let's mm-hmm. let's make this real, realer. Mm-hmm. So that's when we started hiring because in order to do everything we wanted to maintain that mix of 50 50 we really just needed more people mm-hmm. um, our first hire was an artist um which as like i said i'm an artist with air quotes and so that was really our first missing gap um i should i should specify that um my business partner by any measure was like a creative genius when it came to coding and like artistic coding. Mm-hmm. It's a quality that's really hard to find in people. Um, it's like you could code something to get things to work, but he was able to code things to get things to work in a fancy way <laughs> you know, and in a way that felt nice. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, so, so we kind of had that end of things covered. I kind of filled in the gaps a bit. Like I've, I've always been kind of a Jack of all trades, but master and none. But our real need was for an artist. So first hire. That hire worked out super well. Mm-hmm. Um, we identified a gap. We filled it. It was, it was a guy who was fairly fresh in the industry. And so we were in a position, we had the resources to, to hire somebody who we could like help form their skill set um, versus somebody who came in already, already like super established. Yeah. Um, so that worked out really well and uh, allowed us to crank out higher quality games. Like a couple of the Disney ones ended up being really, really nice and polished looking because of that extra art um, just made a whole world of difference. Mm-hmm. But then I think, um, and this is one of the lessons that I've learned here is we wanted to keep getting bigger. We had the money to do it. But it was it was kind of one of those scenarios where I think I got caught up in the prestige of getting bigger, of uh-huh. hiring more people, rather than really asking the hard que- the question about like what are the what do we need to do to effectively grow? I was just like excited to just like okay, we need more artists. We need you know I I didn't think hard enough about just how we wanted to grow this team, mm-hmm. and well you know that might not be fair. Maybe I, I did think hard about it. Um but I just didn't really have the experience to know how we should grow the team. Sure. So this is the period where uh, we kind of started growing, but it was a little aimless Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a problem at the time because we had a really nice cushy revenue coming in from Snowball. But you weren't expecting it. So you weren't planning to, to be this big at this time. Right, Right. Right. And so we, we grew and, um, Every every single hire that we made, and every person that I worked with, like I've I've really enjoyed working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I kind of made some wrong hires because I I think uh, everybody that I hired was, with the exception of one guy, um, was more or less kind of a rookie. Mm-hmm. They didn't have they didn't have a ton of experience, and I think. This is because that's how I entered the industry. Like I came in um, not knowing what the heck I was doing and just kind of figured like that's how everybody can do it here. Come to Gravac and work with me on figuring this shit out and making cool stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And so it ended up being really good in some ways, 
But I think the downfall was that we didn't have enough experience collectively to really guide the ship effectively. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think we collectively, we didn't fail enough yet to know what to look out for. Sure. Mm-hmm. I like that you brought that up. You didn't fail enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, I think the result is we kind of had this time period where this, the ski ball revenue was coming in. We were doing work for higher stuff. The work for higher stuff was probably like, we were probably over delivering, honestly, our projects given the budgets. Yeah. Mm. Um, everything was financially fine, but the long run, we didn't really have a clear goal. I mean, the goal was we need to follow up ski ball with something of our own. Mm-hmm. Like we can't depend on ski ball forever, even though it kind of felt like it, which was honestly part of the problem. It's like, this, the ski ball money just kept coming in and we're like, well, this is never going to end. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was an unfortunate mindset to have. Um, and so we, we kind of floundered a bit, like finding our next game. Okay. Um, and one of the games that resulted in that actually one of my favorite games ever, but there, there were one or two titles we ended up not releasing for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we did release one, it was called Jump Dudes. And there were high expectations here. Cause, and it and it is a game that I'm very proud of. Like it's a fun, polished game. I think the core idea is unique. Um, it was is kind of like a it was a game where coins fell from the sky, and you were this little dude, this little cartoon character that jumped to collect the coins. But if you missed a coin, it hit the ground and the ground started shattering. Oh! And if the coins, if if like a chunk of ground got hit by like three coins, it disappeared, and so now you have less to land on. And yeah. if you fall in the gap, you die. So I thought it was it was kind of a unique concept, but similar to things like Doodle Jump, which was um, just kind of like a modification of the platformer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of the difficulty with Jump Dudes was that it was a long development cycle because mm-hmm. client work tended to take priority, even though in hindsight that was probably a bad thing to do because. It meant that it was getting in the way of coming up with that next title that made us significant amounts of money mm-hmm. versus eh, just enough to squeak by, right. which is what contract work is. And so because contract work, which was in theory supposed to be 50% of our revenue stream, mm-hmm. uh, was really more like 80% of our time commitment. Mm-hmm. And so the Jump Dude's life cycle was really long. And because of that, like the, the app store changed a lot. Oh. Between the beginning and the end of Jump Dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest change is that freemium started becoming this hip new thing that yeah. everybody wow. wanted to do. Okay. So when we started Jump Dudes, it was like, well, yeah, 99 cents, sure. But by the end of Jump Dudes, it's like, well, aren't you going to have freemium hooks and blah, blah, blah. And so part of the difficulty with Jump Dudes was, you know, we wanted to jump on this freemium bandwagon because like all the cool kids are doing it. Mm-hmm. And apparently you could make a ton of money doing it, right? And so it was our first first entrance into the freemium model. And the result was one of my favorite games that we made. And we made like five thousand dollars. And oh. and if I were to like I don't want to think about how much time, like person hours it took to make this game, mm-hmm. but it was more than five thousand dollars. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> By an order of magnitude or more (laughs) (laughs) um so that one really hurt like we had high hopes we all really loved the game and we're like this is going to be another stream of revenue and it just wasn't Mm -hmm. um somewhat funny story in a very sad way 
is I remember like the day or two after Jump Dudes was released, I looked at Flurry, which was what we were using for analytics at the time. And there was like this huge spike in users with like a ton of purchases. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be <laughs> swimming in canoes of money. <laughs> and when I looked at the App Store reports, it's like, no, no, you're not. And I found it was uh, hackers, like Chinese uh, hackers. I could see regionally where it was coming from. And mm-hmm. it was all China. Oh. A ton of people downloaded the game. And just like bought in-app purchases, um, they hacked it. And so like, so we we had a moment of, yeah, we made it. And then like a day later, we're like, no, we didn't. (laughs) I I don't think though that it took away money. I just Mm -hmm. think, I think people got the game that wouldn't otherwise have gotten it. Okay. Um, So I don't feel like it was a loss. It was more just like uh, a giant, like Monty Python foot coming down to crush right, our right. Yeah. It was an emotional <laughs> loss. <Yeah. laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so what happened with like ski ball and stuff um, to make it so that uh, you weren't able to, you know, what, what, what happened after that? Yeah, what finally stopped that gravy train? Yeah. <laughs> so, so let me answer that along with a few other things that okay. kind of surrounded us in this time period. So I think like this, like right around Jump Dudes or maybe a little bit before the release, I feel like it was kind of when we hit our peak in terms of like revenue and ability and people on hand to make cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had a couple other projects that never really quite made it off the ground that I was sad about. We did a couple other like pseudo uh, independent games. Like there was there was another game in there called um, Carnival Games, um, Flick Carnival Games, mm-hmm. uh, also published by Freeverse. And it was intended to kind of capture the same spirit as Skee Ball by the same publisher in the store. So we thought that it was kind of uh, an easier slam dunk than just another fresh game. And even that didn't work out that well. It's like just because people downloaded Skee Ball doesn't mean they have interest in this other game that's kind of Skee Ball. Like just that brand just made all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, and so there was not only Jump Dudes, but Carnival Games was like, Failure, I guess you could say, financially anyway. Along the same time period, this is where some of the the personal things surrounding my business partner kind of came to a head and um, really just made, just made life a lot more complicated and it just dictated that we ended up separating as business partners. But it wasn't contentious. It was really a lesson in sometimes circumstances outside of game development get in the way. And so um, there's kind of like a double whammy, like some of these, some of these commercial failures combined with like the inability to like work as a partnership. So it's just kind of like this convergence of like kind of failures and ill-timed things uh, that started making life more difficult. Mm -hmm. And then the icing on this, poop cake (laughs) (laughs) is uh is what happened with skee-ball yeah and skee-ball was published by freeverse freeverse at about the end of skee-ball one's life cycle and at about the beginning of skee-ball two's life cycle got purchased by a publisher called mobage and they were one of the first like freemium like woo all in on freemium studios yeah so that informed that Ski Ball 2 would be a freemium game. So it would be free, and then you have in-app purchases. Mm-hmm. And um, 
that ended up making the development life cycle for that more difficult because freemium is just hard. Mm-hmm. Like if you think it's hard, reassess and think it's harder. Like, <laughs> like doing it, doing an effective freemium game is just hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so Skiball 2 took a really long time. It also didn't help that my business partner wasn't able to contribute much at that time. That made the development cycle slower. And so Skiball 2 is released. It, it downloaded in high enough quantities that it was um, financially successful, yeah. but it didn't match Skiball 1 because mm-hmm. an effective revenue stream from a freemium game is just hard. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm getting to that icing part here. <laughs> then Mobage got purchased by DNA. Oh. And DNA no longer had any interest in skee-ball. Mm-hmm. It was just total small potatoes to them. To us, it was like it was like our the blood coursing through our veins. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this is what was supporting our studio, and we haven't had that follow-up game yet. We, we don't have that second stream of revenue. And now DNA has no, no interest in maintaining this license. And so they essentially just kind of let it lapse. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And I tried the hardest I could could to just get it myself or like get them to care you know whatever but it just didn't work out and so we lost like pretty abruptly the ski ball license mm-hmm. and so that was a significant stream of revenue that was just like whoop, gone mm. and so that was like that was a big ouch and we had some reserves we had plan you know we had at around this time jump juice was released so we had hopes that that would do something for us and just nothing nothing worked out and it ended up being a very difficult time. Uh, long story short, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was lay off three of the people on our team. Um, I remember it was just, that was rough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really enjoyed working with everybody that I worked with. And so it was, it was strictly layoffs. It wasn't like, oh, you're not cutting it. Um, so that, that was, you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And uh, that's what we had to do because we weren't, the, the contract work wasn't cutting it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so here you are at your like lowest point. How how do you get out of that? Um, well, it's a lot easier with fewer people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but really I think I think what we've gone through so far has been it's like uh the wild thing roller coaster at Valley Fair. Like there's this large peak and then this large downfall, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the rest from there is kind of like little ups and downs and ups and downs. And yeah. so I think that kind of defines the next period of Gravec where we had essentially three of us at this point and we kind of reassessed and we're like, okay, what do we, what do we got to do here? And we ended up focusing on the steady stream of revenue, like the, the more safe stuff. And that is contract work because mm-hmm. we still had a pretty good relationship with Disney. Well, the Warner brothers one at this time had kind of fizzled because, um, Everybody that I knew there was no longer at Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. And so this was, that sustained us for a little bit. Unfortunately, throughout this period of time, Disney, a lot of their stuff was in-house built. Yeah. Or they started shifting to overseas studios, Mm -hmm. which we just can't complete with prices in the Philippines or China. Yeah. Um, It's just something we can't do. Fast forwarding a bit, uh, the last proposal I got from Disney was like, almost a laughable insult Mm. um they're like here make a tower defense game that's like really polished and great and uh a lot of depth uh here's fifty thousand to do it and i'm like 
the only way this is possible is if I'm not paying wages here and if I already have a game that I just reskin. Yeah. And like that's the only way I could have like in good faith given them a proposal. Mm -hmm. Um and so I, I actually asked my producer who one of the few people that stayed at a at a big studio for like more than two years. Like I had a good relationship with this guy and I'm like, okay, just be real with me. Is this request for proposal really just meant for like a reskin or offshore studio or something? And he's like, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I you know, I can't work with that. So yeah. yeah. So unfortunately the Disney relationship kind of fizzled. So then after that, uh I guess it was just it just been kind of um we went down to two people. Uh, it wasn't a layoff. It was just the, the other guy was ready to move on somewhere else. And so then it was um, two of us. Mm -hmm. We have a really good partnership going on here. Um, so we just kind of weathered the storm and um, found weird odds and ends to work on. Uh, unfortunately, just like at this point, a lot of our early success was just like recognition because we were unity experts, we were one of the first adopters of unity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had a lot of work with big studios. And so it was easy to find people who wanted significant work. Mm -hmm. But at this point, like everything's so crowded, like it's, it's hard to release a game and get recognition. Everybody's using unity. Yeah. We were able to keep up, but everybody else is kind of at the same spot. So, so it, we just ended up taking like weird projects. <laughs> um, <laughs> For example, we did some uh, some medical training, mm -hmm. and I distinctly remember working on optimizing large texture sheets of rashes. Oh, <laughs> fun! <laughs> um, many of these rashes were in very unfortunate places. Oh, <laughs> extra fun! <laughs> um, there's some there's some cool stuff though. Uh, Strata which is one of my favorite projects. That was uh, actually probably what kept us afloat for to some degree for a while. Um, Strata is a is this pretty simple puzzle game. It's kind of like, I like to describe it like Sudoku, except with colors and layering colors instead of numbers. Mm -hmm. It's very fun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was kind of a neat experiment. And it's like, all right, well, uh, we got Unity. We can export to all these different platforms. Let's just do it and see what happens. And so we ended up going on like weird, obscure platforms and, and popular ones. Like it was on iOS. It got recognition from, from Apple, which was a huge help. Yeah. Um, the nice thing is, is I, I had a couple like loose contacts at Apple um, that I would meet with like either by email or in person at conferences every now and then. And so I was able to get their attention through the contacts there. And they're like, oh, this is neat. And then they ended up featuring it, which ended up being significant. Mm -hmm. Android also saw like a feature. But then we had weird platforms. Like uh, <laughs> the first platform that Strata was released on was the Nook. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, this was almost because there was like, this was another emerging platform, emerging in air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were offering like, uh, a bunch of visibility on their store for free. They were just desperate for content. Yeah. And so we're like, hey, why not? It'll be like a soft launch. Mm -hmm. it, and it, it worked out okay. It's kind of ridiculous in hindsight because I'm like, like the nook. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're sitting across from someone who released a game on the BlackBerry playbook. So <laughs> <laughs> You're, uh, we, we came real close to that one too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the BlackBerry folks were uh, were like basically throwing devices at us. Like, oh, yeah. get it on here, get it yeah, on yeah. here. 
um, that decision was made for us though, because I think they went bankrupt or something like <laughs> ah. before we really could decide. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the week that we released Strata on the Nook, um, was the same week that the Nook store closed. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. Or like, I don't know, opened themselves up to the Google Play Store or something. So right. it, was, it was almost like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> we released on Amazon. Um, totally wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Totally wasn't worth it on Nook. Um, Google Chrome Store, don't do that either. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm telling you things that are kind of obvious, but we're like, yeah, oh, whatever. Oh, in, in <laughs> hindsight's always 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And there's, there's nothing more appealing to a developer uh, on the last third of their project than like being the first in, an, in a new marketplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you experienced it with the App Store. You know, and with web games, like if you're there early, it can really help you uh, get through the thing. So no one's can be blamed for like trying to get it onto that weird thing they know is not going to work. Yeah. You know? I, I've actually grown a bit cynical about new platforms like that because sure, I, like you said, some of our early success was because we were getting on this new exciting platform. And so then that kind of set a precedent that every time a new platform was like <laughs> flashed in front of me, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and then I chase it and then it's like, Oh, that didn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not excited about this Playdate handheld then? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I think um, my word of caution to everybody is just like, just do it if it's easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but don't underestimate the the small amount of work that adds up every time you release on a new platform. Yeah. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's promotional imagery, there's updates, there's, there's weird bugs. Like every, every platform you add adds a whole new headache and it's, it's actually quite annoying. So, um, the strata experiment on just kind of like scattergun approach was a fun experiment and we learned from it. Um, we're not going to do it again. <laughs> I think Apple, iOS store, Google play store, steam ended up being okay. And that's just kind of it. Yeah. So speaking of Strata, Strata was designed in-house, right? It wasn't, yep. There wasn't a client project. And that's that starts a new sort of precedent for Gravik as a studio that makes like these types of games, right? Yeah. So uh, the beautiful thing about Strata was that it was, it was basically our reaction to having Jump Dudes, uh, which was this big freemium experience. And uh, we also did a freemium experience with Disney that didn't work out very well. Mm-hmm. And it just makes the game so complicated. So we're just like, let's do something simple, contained, premium, done. Mm-hmm. And so um, kind of relearning that lesson way back, like just keep it simple. Don't try to go crazy with feature creep. And that worked out really well. So, yeah. so that was kind of a breath of fresh air, something minimal, something that focused on design. Um, it was really fun to work on. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it did kind of, it kind of started a new era where it's like, okay, let's keep it simple. Let's keep it premium. Cool with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you released Optica, the sort of spiritual successor, uh, just last year, right? Yes. Um, So we're working with Glitch as a publisher. um, And now we released Optica and it's, it's a very similar game in a lot of ways. Um, Also very fun. Thank you. <laughs> it's my favorite mobile game in a long, long time. Like you, a hundred percent in it, didn't you? Yeah. I think I, I just, d- you just I, did, I did too. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I just nuked your. I know. Saved game, dear <laughs> listeners. Matt gave me a beta build with new levels, and it wiped my save file. Oh no! So now I have to do them all over again, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't put this in Optica, but any listeners who have Strata, there is a cheat code. Ooh. Should I say it? 
You uh, sure? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the Konami up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. So if you do that in using swipe motions mm-hmm. on the screen in Strata, you will unlock all the levels. Oh, nice. <laughs> BRB unlocking levels. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that for Optica. Maybe that's in an update. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you've got these original projects now that you're you're working on, but you're still doing client work. You're working with VR now as well, right? Yep. So I think um, to answer Martha's question on how to get out of that, the, the slump, mm-hmm. um, it's been a real long game working in VR and trying to get the attention of um, more serious applications, uh, corporate applications, because VR just isn't at a point where um, I'm not going to be able to release a game and make money from consumers. It's just not enough. I mean, that's not necessarily true. It's just hard. It's going to yeah, be really yeah. hard. Right. Yeah. Right. You hear about the sort of breakout VR experiences and there, there are very few of them. And a lot of them are funded by, by publishers or platform holders to push the platform. It's still not quite sustainable. I think for smaller studios, not fully, some have made it, but it's like harder than other platforms, I think. Right. But I'm really excited about VR because I, 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 I understand that it's in early stages. It's got a ways to go, but I think it is going to be a significant part of our future, especially when VR and AR kind of merge into one thing and a more compact um, size. Yeah. And so kind of playing the long game, we're trying, we've been trying to get interest from corporate entities. We've enlisted the help and essentially added a third partner to the mix who does business development. Like that's his focus. That's one of the key pieces that I was missing in the past is mm-hmm. somebody who was really there to focus on developing the business and client relations and finding new clients. Yeah. And so we're learning from past mistakes. We have this guy working with us and uh, he's found some really cool clients to work with in the medical space. Oh, so utilizing virtual reality to do things from like physical therapy to cognitive training. And I can't really get into specifics, but it's really interesting stuff. And it's science-based and science holds a special place in my heart. So I just like, I really, really enjoy working with some of these companies who are like legit scientific testing these concepts. Yeah, And uh, they actually, it's, it's a completely different mindset and culture than strictly gaming industry because they move at a much slower pace <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they actually pay a reasonable wage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it, it's been like a two year journey and trying to drum up these clients mm-hmm. and it's finally starting to pay off. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where we're kind of at right now. Well, it's interesting. Like you've this, this, what you've described is the different eras of graphic, but that, that goal of 50, 50, whether that's really 50, 50 or not, like you still have that. But now your your fifty percent client work is now focused on this other interesting thing, mm-hmm. and it's not just making it's not making games you're not as excited about. And then you got all your game energy to focus on the other fifty percent, mm-hmm. right? Like, do you find that really exciting, or do you kind of, or does it mean you just have to learn more about more things and keep more things in your head? Well, I guess I'll I'll say that fifty fifty is no longer a goal. Okay. I think it's just it's just so hard as an independent studio to get any sort of traction as an independently released game. And mm-hmm. So that's more in our minds as just kind of a side fun thing. Sure. Like we just kind of fit that in where we want now. So our yeah. main focus at this current time. It doesn't burden you or anything. Right. Yeah. So it's like when we get a chance, let's make some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but we're just, we're, we're keeping it a little bit more laser focused. Otherwise I think we're going to spread ourselves too thin, which is what we did in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. That makes sense. So like, I think really want to know just the big lessons, like what's the, what are the takeaways, right? Like you, 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 you did promise us some takeaways. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> the word sage advice was thrown. <laughs> yeah, sage advice. <laughs> no um, pressure. Sorry. <laughs> oh man. As much as I loved working with everybody at our heights of number of people and resources, um, I think I would have hired a different team. Mm-hmm. It's not because of lack of skill. Like everybody that I worked with was amazing. But I think um, we needed somebody to be more of a leader or I needed to provide that role mm-hmm. because I was doing this weird thing where I was developing and managing the team. Mm-hmm. Ah. And it's just like my brain has the hardest time context switching. It ended up being inefficient. And I think I had unrealistic, I had unrealistic expectations of myself. And so instead of doing something a hundred percent, I was doing two things probably ended up being 40%. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't really like a clear direct, there wasn't somebody like really clearly staring the ship. Um, and by that, I mean like nobody was like, here's a design, let's run with it. Let's like do this design. It was just kind of more of a collaborative process where it's like everybody kind of contributed. And in theory, like I really wanted that to work. I like, I wanted it to be a collaborative effort, which, which works. Right. Mm-hmm. But there, I, I really learned that somebody needs to be there to like be the vision holder, to yeah. be the person that really yeah. drives the game and the direction. And uh, I think that's one key piece we were missing. And I could have filled that role, but then I would have needed somebody you know what? I don't think I could have filled that role because I think the other lesson I learned is what my strengths are and what they aren't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a good game designer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think I'm really good at at taking somebody's idea and making it look good mm-hmm. and feel good. But I am not the person to be like, this is my vision. Yeah. <laughs> um, Was that a hard lesson to learn? Because you don't seem that down about it. Uh well, the only time I get down about lessons that I've learned is if I don't learn from them. <laughs> um, so, so I'm not that down about it, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to be critical of oneself. Yeah. And I think that um, I'm fine with it. Like if I'm not good at designing, like whatever. Right. <laughs> next time I make sure I have somebody that is. <laughs> yeah. I think to go along with just kind of how I'd build the team differently is mm-hmm. I filled the team with a lot of inexperienced people in in the hopes that we could mold their talent to where we needed it. Right. You but didn't really, want to bring someone in. You wanted someone who could like belong to that place. Right. Right. And like grow together. But I, I think uh, that was just in some ways kind of a naive, idealistic way to think about it because really what I needed is somebody with experience mm-hmm. and like somebody to maybe even be like, keep me in check and tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. Because I just didn't have the experience. And in a lot of ways, I still don't like, if I were to be in that circumstance again, I don't know if I could make the decisions to make it success- successful. I think my hire would be to get somebody on board that can help me ensure that it's successful, right. which means somebody with experience, somebody who knows how to like grow a team effectively, somebody who has a vision and can help me define that vision and execute it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's, that's kind of the downside of being a jack of all trades, master of none, is that uh, you want to do everything, yeah. <laughs> but you really just shouldn't. <laughs> I think if I can ramble a little bit more, 
to Please. directly answer your question, Mark, um, another hard lesson. And this one I think is, is the biggest gut punch of them all. You know, I think it's natural as you get older, you get a little cynical, right? Mm -hmm. But if you know me, I, I think sometimes I'm still kind of a naive, naive idealist sometimes. And I really, really want to believe that if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with a limited number of resources, you can't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I, I think there were points in time where I was trying to steer team members and myself to do things that I just shouldn't have had them doing. Mm -hmm. um, because like, sure, like maybe eventually they could have learned these skills or been good at this thing, but we're dealing with a limited amount of time and resources and to try to fit people into a mold that they're not meant to fit into mm -hmm. um, is just been a hard lesson. And it's actually a lesson that was, was foreshadowed a little bit by um, somebody that I would meet up with who worked at Unity. He was a Danish guy. And this was early on, like when, when Ski Wall first started becoming a, a big thing. He was like, you know, maybe he saw this in our team. Maybe he saw this in me. But he's like, you know, uh, Americans and Europeans have a very different mindset of looking at things. Um, he said that Americans have this mindset that if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And we don't have that. We know our limits here. <laughs> and I, I'm just like internally rolling my eyes at this guy. I'm like, <laughs> such a downer, man. <laughs> um, but I think he was kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> at least in the context of business and like, you know, as much as you really want that to be true, don't count on it. Right, right. Yeah, like you can do anything if you put your mind to it, if it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a caveat, right? <laughs> well, Matt, thank you for joining us yeah. and sharing that sage advice as well as the story. <laughs> I think it will really help a lot of people who are starting their journey as a game developer, either as independent they're going to start a business or someone maybe who's a little bit along that way and doesn't know what to do right now <laughs> or someone who's just had some success and is thinking it's going to last forever, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, oh, yeah. The biggest takeaway. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you find yourself in a position where you have success and you have money coming in, make sure to take some of that money and put it in retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a house. Do something. Yeah. <laughs> People can find both Strata and Optica on the various app stores, including not, well, not the Nook anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it might still be there somewhere in the depths of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club and your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Matt, will you leave a review and tell all your friends too? I'll leave a review and tell at least some of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> we also want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host and nice guest, as well as get all of the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice.
Give me a second. Uh, we got noticed by a publisher called... God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I had it and I lost it. Okay. We got noticed from a publisher called... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is the publisher called Shockwave? Um? Shockwave. Shockwave. Okay, Shockwave. I just say it once. Okay. We got notice from a publisher called Shockwave. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.